you have to adapt the time time zone that you're in to our time here. Uh, Passover itself is Monday, April 10th at sundown. I say Monday the 10th, it's really the beginning of the 11th, uh, because at sundown the 11th begins. So the Passover is uh, Monday, April 10th at sundown, the end of the day, beginning of the 11th. Now, we will not be broadcasting that because uh, we're supposed to all do it at sundown. And with the different time zones across the country, the sun sets at different times. So we can't have one service here that does all. So those of you who are out in the hinterland uh, will have to adapt the time and do the bread and the wine uh, in your own time zone at sundown. And some of you who are alone can't really participate in the foot washing because washing your own feet isn't an act of humility, I guess. (laughs) But uh, that's the way it is if you're alone. Uh, So certainly have an attitude of service and being willing to, to do the foot washing attitude, let's say, where we're willing to uh, humble ourselves before others. And that's the point that Christ was making in the foot washing service. <clears throat> so if you have the tape or the CD that has one of our Passover services recorded, you can simply follow along with it and you'll get the whole service that way and you'll just have to administer the bread and the wine to yourself. Unleavened bread, of course, I'm sure we all understand. And uh, we usually use a dry red wine Uh, The Bible doesn't specify what type of wine to use, but that's the color more of blood, and and it represents the blood of Christ for us, so that's what we have tended to do. So, sundown, beginning of the 11th is the Passover, and then the services we're going to have during those seven days uh, will begin on Tuesday, which is the first holy day. And we'll have a one o'clock service, and potluck doesn't concern you, but we will enjoy it and hope you have something nice as well. So one o'clock on Tuesday, April 11th, Uh, Wednesday the 12th, we'll have it at 7 in the evening, Thursday the 13th, 7 in the evening, Friday the 14th, 7 in the evening, so... 12th, 13th, and 14th are all 7 o'clock in the evening. Uh, Then we have the weekly Sabbath, the 15th, and that will be at 1 o'clock as we, same time we always have Sabbath service here. 1 o'clock on Sabbath, the 15th. Then on Sunday, the 16th, uh, that will be at 7 o'clock in the evening. 7 o'clock, Sunday, the 16th. And then on the last Holy Day, the 17th, Monday, uh, we'll have a 1 o'clock service again. So on the Sabbath, the first Holy Day, uh, the weekly Sabbath, uh, and then the last Holy Day, 1 o'clock services, and all the others are at 7 o'clock in the evening. We did the 7 o'clock to accommodate some of those who have work schedules and so on, and that way they can be here in the evening. And on the Sabbaths, we're 
nobody's working anyway, so we'll do it at our regular time of one o'clock. So I hope you got all that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, God gives us some instruction here regarding the Passover and the Passover service that I want to review today to begin the sermon, uh, because there's a particular point that I want to make in here. Well, he's talking here in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians down uh, in verse 23, how Christ took bread the night that he was betrayed and broke it and shared it with the disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you in verse 24, and to do that in remembrance of him. And then he took the cup in 25, and when he had eaten, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you is often, and we're told by other scriptures how often, that's once a year at Passover, in remembrance of me. So he says that that wine is symbolic of the covenant of the New Testament the new testimony, the new deal in terms of giving us opportunity, eternal life, which had not been offered in the Old Testament. Now he says, when you drink that, you show his death until he comes back. Then in verse 27, Wherefore, whomsoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the eternal unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the eternal. Now that's a pretty serious statement. If we don't take it in the right attitude, with the right approach, then our guilt is not removed. We are still guilty of killing him, and his blood guilt comes on our head. So this is a very, very important point to consider Uh, prior to Passover, is that we want to be sure we come not taking it carelessly, uh, nonchalantly, uh, without very, very deep resolve and purpose. In other words, recognize that this service is very, very solemn, and it truly represents Christ and Himself being offered, uh, both tortured for our physical healing and dying for our eternal healing, or eternal life. Well, that's nothing to be taken at all lightly, but very, very carefully, because we do not want His blood on our head. Uh, The wages of sin is death, and if we're guilty of murdering Christ, then we are going to die eternally. So we need to be very, very sure that we understand and are very deeply committed to what we're doing that night. Or he says right here, in so many words, our guilt will remain. So he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks in a wrong manner, a wrong attitude, unworthily, nonchalantly, whatever word you want to use there as a synonym, eats and drinks damnation to himself, not dividing the Lord's body into two parts. So he says this is to be approached very seriously. Otherwise, 
you are bringing damnation, or my margin says judgment on yourself. So that which is meant to save life will destroy life if not taken in the right manner. So this is a very, very scary situation. Now, I have known people over the decades who have says, well, I'm not worthy to take it, so I know I'm a sinner, and therefore I should not take the Passover this year. No, that's not what Paul says. He says, don't approach it lightly. Do examine yourself, and then take. So you don't just walk away from it, what do you what have you gained there? If you walk away from it and don't do it, then it doesn't be apply in your behalf. If you don't have the right attitude and do it anyway, then you're condemning yourself by so doing. So you're damned if you do and damned if you won't to use the expression, but it's the correct word. So there's a positive instruction here. Go through the effort of examining yourself and being sure that you are in the right attitude of mind when you take that bread and wine. Uh, because it is a very, very serious matter. Now, we are in that period of time from the first day of the first month, which began Wednesday, to examine ourselves. I think I gave a sermon one time and showed that that examination period begins on the first day of the first month and lasts until Passover. Now, do you know how quickly two weeks can go by? Pretty fast. Now, since New Moon Bible Study on Tuesday evening, we've had Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and now Sabbath, almost four days gone by. Have you gotten down serious yet? Or did you forget all about it until ten minutes before by, uh, Passover service? I've seen people do that. You know, they, they don't give it much thought. And then, oh, I've got to get ready. It's almost time. So they grab their Bible and run over and, and uh, spend the last ten minutes <laughs> sitting in their chair trying to get it self-examined. Uh, that's really not sufficient. So... Don't let it slip by. Maybe it already has been. Maybe we need to take the bull by the horns uh, and do some even yet today because it'll be here before you know it. We have one more Sabbath and then Passover the following Monday night. So it'll be here before you know it. So that leads into the subject for today, which is to overall examine the self. But instead of getting into the self-examination process today, let's look at it from a little different standpoint and examine mankind. Now, I hesitate. No, I don't really hesitate. But I read an article, I think just yesterday, that said that a professor had downgraded a student's essay because in that essay he used the term mankind. 
And the teacher said, well, you can't use the term mankind. It's too gender specific. <laughs> we're, we're not mankind, we're humankind. Womankind, mankind, that doesn't work anymore. Well, God uses the term mankind, and he created a woman to be a helpmate for a man. Man was created first and then woman. God makes that very clear. But today, we have a situation where if you wouldn't say, even say, let's examine mankind, there are people in our society who won't hear another word you say because they can't get past that first word. <laughs> They'll be thinking, well, you said mankind all the way through whatever you have to say. Did you ever do that? Have somebody say something and that's so much on your, your mind, you'd, oh, I didn't hear the rest of what you said. That happens to all of us from time to time. So let's examine mankind. We're part of it. And if you're going to examine yourself, maybe it's good to have an overview of ourselves. Uh, and then we can use that skeleton to flesh out in terms of our own individual needs and lacks and whatever needs examined. There is a way that seems right to a man. That's in Proverbs 14.25. I think it's 16.25 as well. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Now let's look at that statement for a moment. There is a way that seems right. It truly appears to be correct. Okay? It isn't a fantasy. It is a way that a man wants to go, a way a man thinks, and it sounds so good. And it doesn't have to be particularly a moral issue or a human uh, conduct issue. There are lots of ways to do different things on this earth that people think about and they have think tanks about various subjects to determine a good course for mankind. Here's what we should do. This will make life better if we just do this. And they'll put all their brains together, and sometimes they have very, very sharp, good minds, uh, in terms of maybe the rest of us being more average, but they have lots of brains, okay? And... They put all those brains together and all those heads and they come up with something that seems to be a really good way to go. This is going to be an improvement. This will help us. So it literally, truly seems right. It seems good. It seems like, ah, this will help. But God says that the ways that seem right to men lead to death. He repeats that in the exact same words, twice in the Proverbs. So it must mean that it has a very, very important uh, lesson for us. Now let's go to Jeremiah 10 in that light. Jeremiah 10. And uh, the context here is of the things we see beginning to happen around us. talks about how we're not to learn the way of the heathen, and so on at the beginning of it. 
uh, verse 10, but the eternal is the true God. He's the living God, an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. So he shows that uh, you can cut trees out of the forest and, and set them up, uh, but that isn't God. That's an idol. So he said there is a real living God. And then he says in verse 18, He'll swing out the inhabitants of the land at this once and will distress them. So it's, it's a, a terrible time. Where verse 20 says, My tabernacle is spoiled, my cords are broken, my children are gone forth of me, and they are not. Uh, he says, verse 22, Behold, the noise of the brood is come. He condemns the passers in verse 21. Don't think I'm just overlooking that and how the flocks will be scattered. That's happened to the church, and it's happening in our country now as we become more and more bifurcated and uh, people with different attitudes and lining up against one another, which is leading to a civil war. So, trouble in the flocks. So he says, The noise of the brute has come, and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of dragons. So the prophecy here, the overall context, is that things are not good, and God is angry, and great destruction is about to be sent on our peoples. Okay? Then he makes a very important statement. O Eternal, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his steps. Now, we're not talking necessarily about one individual here. Of course, it boils down to that. If one man can't figure out the right way and what he ought to be doing, then two can't, and six can't, and six billion can't. It is not in man to direct his steps. And here he's talking about mankind in general. Because what mankind is doing is leading to destruction from the eternal who can't stand what man is doing on this earth. And he said he's going to send the king of the north, an amalgamation of nations, to destroy us because our ways are so evil. Now, most Americans have not looked at our society that way. We have traditionally thought we're a good Christian nation. Now, that isn't necessarily so much true anymore as people begin to abdicate religion because it's not giving them any answers. It's not God's religion, it's their religion or Satan's religion. And it's not profitable. So they're departing from it. And they're trying to find their own way, whether it be atheism or agnosticism, or, or, and some of them are still trying to find a God that they can create in their own image. They don't care to find the true God of creation, but they want to find a God that they can incubate in their mind and hatch a God there that fits the description of what they want God to be. So everybody has a different God in his mind. And they won't go to the true God's word. 
and find out what he truly is and formulate their opinions based on what he says about himself. There are a lot of people who claim to worship God who don't have a clue who he is. So it's a false religion based on their imagination and not on the reality. So we have a very clear statement here that man does not know how to direct his steps. Let's uh, uh, go backward a little bit here and see what happened after Adam and Eve. They couldn't direct their steps. God kicked them out. And then over about 1,000, 1,600 years, mankind got so foul, so evil, so violent, so immoral, so perverted that God couldn't stand it anymore. So he wiped everybody out except eight <clears throat> and started over. Now we are, as in the days of Noah, as Christ put it, uh, at the end where we see more and more violence and more and more perversion and all kinds of things coming apart in the world. So we're getting another severe lesson in the idea that man does not know how to direct his steps. We are on the cusp of World War III now. Uh, the nations are preparing their arsenals to be ready to attack or defend themselves depending on their mindset. So we're getting down to the days of Noah. Do our ways that we devise work out? Let's consider that a little bit. There's a scripture in Isaiah 5. And God makes a comment about man's society. Isaiah 5, verse 8. He's talking about, the, first of all, the church here, but he says in verse 8, Woe to them that join house to house. Have you ever seen an apartment complex where they're all joined wall to wall to wall to wall to wall to wall, up, da up down, side by side, row houses? Woe to them that join house to house, that lay field to field, that there is no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. So God makes a comment about our cities and about our housing. He does not like cities. He didn't devise cities. He made man to grow his own crops, make his own foods, to have his own vine and his own fig tree. But in the world before Noah, apparently they devised cities and got too close together, and then they became violent with one another. And in the days of Nimrod, not too long after Noah's flood, he organized them into cities so that they could have armies and they could defend themselves from bad guys and so on. But God says, not only don't build your houses wall to wall to each other and above and below each other, don't even lay your fields one against the other. In other words, leave in between uh, natural corridors so that a man has elbow room. A man commented to me one time, he says, well, he says, I don't mind neighbors, but I, I'd like them far enough away I can't see the smoke from their chimney. 
That's kind of my thought. <laughs> it's, it's nice to have peace and quiet and not have people too close. Now, I applied that this verse even when we were designing this place because God didn't give us the whole promised land. Uh, he showed us this piece of property, and I think we bought it with the right attitude and the right purpose to at least have a foundation for his people to come when things get bad. Uh, so instead of building a traditional trailer court like you see in the country, where you know you, you can barely get your car between the trailers and you hear each other's toilets flush and, uh, and each other's fights and arguments and everything else, uh, we at least spread it out to a full acre or more if people wanted more than that. And that still lays field to field or property to property. So uh, we didn't have anything to work to to get to this ultimate situation, but we tried to at least get a little elbow room here. And I can tell you, based on this verse, that when God sets up His kingdom on this earth, people are going to have plenty of space. He's not going to let them jam together, and cities will be a thing of the past. In his kingdom, there will be no enemies, no plunderers, and warriors coming around, so you don't need a walled city. It doesn't need defended. And you don't have to have people go out and work their crops during the day and come back in the city for safety at night. So, it is because of man's sins and man's violence that some of those things had to be in the first place. I was reflecting very early this morning on this subject a little bit. How do we know what will work? How can we know that? Let's say somebody comes up with an idea about agriculture. I think we ought to go th grow things hydroponically, but because we can put vitamins in the water and we can make things grow quicker and do it on lesser space, and we can control the water and the minerals and the vitamins that go there. Sounds like a pretty good idea to some people. What's the long-range effect of that? Does anybody really know? There's a lot of it going on. And then they feed them <coughs> chemicals, artificial fertilizers. <coughs> God intended man to have his own vine and his own fig tree, basically to grow his own food. But somebody had an idea, you know, if we could make these monster tractors and we could plow a thousand acres or two thousand or ten thousand acres... We could make a lot of money. But now we have a problem. If we grow these crops over and over again, we'll deplete the soil. And we don't have enough cow manure to treat our 5,000 acre farm. <coughs> so an idea came, and it seemed like a really good idea to some really smart people and that is that we'll dig these artificial uh, chemicals out of the ground and we'll spread them all over our fields and they will stimulate the growth of these plants and it'll all work good. 
Well, they've been doing that now for a few decades, and the soil and those artificial fertilizers did produce bountiful crops. But the problem is, long-term, they're beginning to find out that those chemicals are defiling and destroying the ground, the earth. So, was it a good idea or not? If we grow all these bigger crops and we use these artificial things, then we can sell and then people will reproduce and there will be a lot more people. And they haven't thought through, what if this doesn't work well? And then we can't produce big crops and all these people starve to death. They didn't really think of that. They thought about the money they could make if they followed this good idea. Now they've got an idea that if you break up the ground and the rocks underneath the earth, you can get oil out of those rocks. Now that sounds like a pretty good idea to a lot of people. And all over this country, they're fracking now in Canada. And it was a good idea, wasn't it? Made a lot of profit. But what's it going to do long term? Is it going to create sinkholes, earthquakes? Who knows? They're already having some problems in some areas. Is it going to mess with the underground water supply? What do you do? Even the irrigation itself. We don't have enough water falling out of the sky. How about we drill holes in the ground? And man has done that on a small scale throughout history. Abraham dug wells and various ones. That's, they hand dug wells so that they could get water where there wasn't water. But now it seemed like a good idea, now that we have mechanization, that we can use these uh, machines we have, drill wells with them, and then we can use a lot of electricity, and we can pump water from way down in the earth, and we can irrigate hundreds of thousands, millions of acres, and turn the desert into a blooming place. Go down to Yuma along the Colorado River where they are doing a lot of irrigating. That's mostly flood irrigation there, but all through the Great Plains. They got wells and crop circles where normally there wouldn't be enough water to produce a crop. There again, you allow mankind to reproduce mightily because there's an abundant food supply. But now what happens when the groundwater dissipates and there's no more water to pump? That's happening. The Ogallala Reservoir in the Great Plains covers several states. Now we have billionaires who are buying those water rights, and that underground lake that covers several states is going dry. They're going deeper and deeper to get enough water to irrigate, and they're getting salt and various things involved in it, and it's going to come to an end. It would take millenniums for all that underground water to replenish itself. So when it's gone, it's gone. And the fields will turn to dust again. So there's a way that sure seems right, isn't there? You know, God gave us herbs for healing. He gave us Christ's sacrifice for healing. But mankind thought, you know, we could do lots of things here that would make people better. 
We can take this man's liver and give it to this guy. We can take this man's heart and give it to somebody else. Their eyeballs, uh, whatever. They're working on it. They're even trying a head transplant now. Uh, You know, we can just make these body parts interchangeable. Is that a good idea? Now they're selling baby parts all over the world. They're selling mature adult parts all over the world. Some of them, they're killing in order to harvest their organs. They're not waiting for them to die. They want healthy organs. They can get a better price for them. So they kill people and harvest their organs. What's going on? That seems right to a lot of people in the scientific community, people with lots of brains. You know, it takes a lot of brains to figure out how to transplant a heart. Not everybody can do that. So they've taken medical science, so-called, to some extremes today. And they think that their good ideas are going to come up with ways to make life better. So they, now they make drugs out of chemicals. And it seems like a good idea because this will stop your head from hurting. This one seems like a good idea because it will settle your stomach. This one seems like a good idea because it will lower your blood pressure. And this is a good idea because it will uh, keep your sugar level under control. And this one's a good idea because it'll make your bowels work. And this one's a good idea for ad infinitum. (coughs) So it seemed like a good idea. But the problems begin to appear when you take this one to fix this problem, and it creates three or four more side effects... So you give them another pill to fix that side effect, which creates six more side effects. So you give them another pill to fix that, and pretty soon they've got this pill cocktail they take every day and wind up dead and addicted and all kinds of problems that come as a result. Now, they improved our food by adding and enriching it with vitamins and with minerals and homogenizing it, and pasteurizing it, and killing it. Because it seemed like a good idea. If you pasteurize milk, uh, then it doesn't maybe have as many germs in it. You won't get sick. And then if you homogenate it, that awful thing of having the cream separate won't occur, because it'll all be the same, and it, it, uh, it won't separate anymore. So they make milk that never doesn't taste like and isn't the same thing that came out of a cow. So they use all these things that seem like a good idea and would solve this problem, but they have no idea what problems it'll cause down the road. So they've started doing all this, and now they find that all of a sudden we have diabetes and cancer and heart disease. It's an epidemic We didn't have that a hundred years ago. It didn't exist. And now, a third of our people in this nation will die of diabetes, or have diabetes. A third will have cancer, and a third will have heart disease. That means that some of them have two or three of the above. We're a sick society because there was a way that seemed right, and it's ending in death and destruction. I read an article just yesterday that they're saying now that 70% of the chickens that are produced in this country 
because of what they're being fed and, and the medicines they're being given and so on, 70% of them now contain carcinogens. That is, if you eat chicken, you're liable to get cancer. Unless you happen to get the 30% that doesn't have carcinogens in it. But they don't have a carcinogen measure on the package down at the store, do they? You don't know what's been done to that chicken. But it seemed right, seemed good to feed them this and feed them this and feed them this. Was that what God intended? It goes on and on. Now they are creating artificial intelligence with robots to replace us on our jobs. And now they're getting scared that they're going to make these, art, these robots so smart that they're smarter than us. And since they have a certain amount of capacity to deduct or make decisions for themselves that they will decide they don't like us anymore and kill us all off. Was that a better way of doing it? Now, it seemed to the most intelligent people in this country some decades ago that coal was kind of nasty and dirty and dams could break and there might be some kind of fish somewhere that wouldn't survive if you built a dam and all kinds of reasoning, and they decided that, you know, we got uranium, and there's an awful lot of energy and power in that, and since we can make nuclear bombs, we could convert that to peaceful purposes and make nuclear plants, and we could generate electricity with this nuclear radioactive material. Oh, Sam, that is a wonderful idea. Let's do that. We can make lots of electricity. We can make lots of money. And we can have these nuclear plants all over the country. We can put one on that fault line over there. And if we put one right over here by the ocean, would be a good spot for this one. And it just seemed like such a good idea that they've got them all over the country. Now they're getting them all over the world. And nothing could go wrong. And now we have almost the entire Pacific Ocean being polluted and massive die-offs <coughs> of sea life and mammals and fish all along the West Coast where it's come over from Fukushima where it wasn't such a good idea to put that nuclear plant there by the sea. There is a way that seems right. It just, you know, these people were smarter than you and me. And they thought that was a great idea. Now what? It ends in the ways of death. Is this picture too hard to see? <laughs> you know, all of our smarts and all our scientists and science is going to save us. And here's the point, though. They won't give up on the idea. Every time they screw something up so bad that it starts causing all kinds of damage, they come up with another scientific experiment or solution to solve that problem, not knowing what it will do either. And it's like the drugs for your body. Pretty soon, you know, 
They don't know what this one's going to do, and they don't know what that one's going to do. We'll try it on the mice and see what happens, and then we'll give it to people. And it becomes something that is grows exponentially until you start seeing people dying right and left. Did you drive through towns in this country and look around and see which is the biggest building in town? Did you ever notice that? Any town you go through, if it's of any size at all, the biggest building in that town is going to be a hospital. Well, maybe not New York City or some of those with high-rise uh, buildings because they're packed in like rats. But, but generally speaking, you go into a city like, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people where they don't have all those skyscrapers, there it'll be. Great big hospital. Adding on. Biggest, biggest building in St. George, Utah is the hospital. Right now they're doubling the size of it. Why? Must be doubling the, size, the amount of sick people. Doubling the population. Mankind cannot come up with the right solutions. Now God had a garden in Eden that was perfect in every way. There was the right amount of water right amount of sunshine, right temperature, stuff grew beautifully. All you had to do was pick and eat. Mankind picked and ate the wrong thing because it seemed like the right thing to do. Well, you know, this guy said it was okay. It seems right. It looks pretty good. I think I'll try it. Here, you want some? And it was all over. So what did God do? He kicked them out of the garden of God, and he says, By the sweat of your brow... You're going to make your living. You'll have thorns, and you won't have rain in due season. And you'll have thistles, and you'll have all weather problems. It'll be difficult. And it has been ever since. It's hard to go out and make a living because of the conditions that are there. What's the lesson? Do things God's way, and things will be better. Do things your way, and they'll get worse and worse and worse. But I've thought about it from time to time on an individual basis, saying, well, you know, if I do this, what will happen? Or if we do it this way, what will happen? Or if we do it that way, what will happen? And I have no way of knowing how what I do is going to turn out long run. Well, let's seed the clouds and let's get more rain. Well, hey, or you could do a rain dance, but that didn't work so good, so let's seed the clouds now. <clears throat> so they try that. And now they have huge machines that they think they can control the weather with. And they're working at it. This HARP, H-A-A-R-P facilities and so on, where some of the smartest minds on earth think that they can control the climate and control the weather. And now we're beginning to see worse and worse weather conditions around the world and more uh, horrible activity. Is it partially due to some of the things man's doing? There's a scripture back in Revelation... Uh, Where did I write that down? Uh, chapter 11. 
here again, where this is about the two witnesses and all that's about to happen just prior to Christ, the time Christ returns. In chapter 18, it talks about him coming and rewarding those who will obey him. Uh, but the last phrase in that verse, 18, is, uh, and should destroy them which destroy the earth, or corrupt, pollute the earth. So he's going to come and reward those who will obey him, and he's going to destroy those that destroy, pollute, and misuse the earth who did what in their level best thinking would be good for mankind. So their intent was to improve life. Instead, we just about destroyed our environment. Now God created the heavens and the earth. And he looked down and says, it is good. And mankind has decided that there are better and more efficient ways to do this, that, and the other thing <clears throat> and it's leading to death. Now, God has promised that He is going to change all this, and He's promised the church that right here at the end time, He's going to make the deserts bloom as a rose. He's going to change the nature of some animals. He's going to make things better. You know, mankind tries, so they try to tame a grizzly bear, and they try to tame a tiger, and it's such a nice kitty. And it will hug them and it will let them feed them out of, its, out of their hand and so on uh, until the day that it turns around and kills them. Well, they think that they're doing real well. These people showed their act to hundreds of thousands of people in Vegas with the white tigers. But there came a day when there was an attack and got killed. God will actually change the nature of the snake and of the bear and the lion and the, all the predators so that they can lie down together. The lambs, the domestic animals that are harmless, can lay down with those that today would kill them. Now, God knows in the long run what's going to work. <coughs> he knows how to make the animals get along. You know, there's a scripture that says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, how the bird can go about building her nest and go ahead and do the things that she knows how to do and no man to guide her or direct her. But she just knows how to build a nest. She knows where to lay her eggs. She knows what to do when the babies are born and she goes out and the, man, man, the male does and brings stuff for them to eat. And they open their little mouths because they know how to do that. And it comes natural, and they poke worms in their mouth, and they grow to be big birds and fly. Well, they know what to do. God programs them. Now, if He programmed them to do that, is it any stretch of our imagination to have the faith and the confidence and the belief that He could reprogram a lion to eat grass? He made their teeth. Could He not change their teeth? Nebuchadnezzar wasn't made to eat grass either. Did God reprogram him where he could lay, stay out in the field and eat grass for seven years? Yep. Now, he did not make man with the same proclivities or the same instincts that he made the animals. The bird knows what to do. Mankind 
can do his very best figuring, his very best thinking and experimenting, and nearly every time come up with the wrong answer. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? We near about killed ourselves off before the flood, and we're almost at the point now of killing ourselves again, where Christ even said there in Matthew 24, verse 21 and 2, that if he didn't cut the time short, 24, verse 21 and 22, no flesh would be saved alive. We would extinct ourselves. Total genocide of all living man. And probably all animals and wildlife as well, if it's nuclear and destroys the earth. Woe to those that do that. But God said this is what it would come to. And it isn't very far ahead of us where we do now have the capacity to destroy all mankind. And we have always used whatever we have devised as weapons of war. Even nuclear we've used. And we're going to do it again. And it's going to be worse than ever before. So, in examining mankind... He does not know how to direct his steps. He just doesn't know how. Now there's a clue there in Revelation 11 where it says he's going to come and reward those who will do things his way and destroy them who have destroyed the earth. So in examining mankind and what we've done, we can see that it hasn't worked out too well. Do it on an individual basis, and you'll find that it isn't working out too well. <clears throat> we have a nation, a world of people today, who are trying to figure out the best way for them to go. Back in the 60s, they used the phrase, I'm trying to find myself. Where were they lost? <laughs> what did they need to find? Well, they didn't like what the generations before them had done. They didn't like the society that they grew up in. So they were seeking to find a different way. A way that would work better for them. So let's not get married. Let's have free love and sex with any and everybody. Let's not get jobs. Let's get the government to send us a check so we can have food stamps. And let's don't eat food to feel better. Let's take drugs and that'll make us high and happy and we'll feel better. And if we get the munchies, that's okay too. But they tried LSD and their minds went absolutely crazy. So they were experimenting to find a way that would work. How has it worked out? Now those people are getting older and their children didn't like the way they were, so now they're turned off and tuned out, and they don't know where they're going either. And they don't know how to make a living, and they don't know how to work, so they live in mom's and dad's basement and try to get money from the government. They can't work their way through college, so now they borrow money and spend the next 50 years trying to get out of their college debt. And now, since it was free love, they also got it 
all confused because it seemed right now for men to love men and women to love women. Utter perversion, God calls it. Look what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. When it comes that we can't even tell gender differences and you can't use words like mankind and you can't figure out which bathroom to use, we're in trouble. It seems right to some pretty smart people on college campuses, right? If you feel like a man today, use the man's room. If you feel like a woman today, use the women's room. It's okay. Let's look at this from a little different standpoint now. Proverbs 3, verse 6. I've been talking so long about how bad things are. Maybe I don't have time to talk about how good they are. Well, I keep thumbing past it. Proverbs 3. Here, verse 6. Uh, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Now we're beginning to see an answer to all these things that we have thought were good and right that are producing turmoil, confusion, disease, and death. Acknowledge God in all your ways, and He will direct your paths. There's a way that seems right, and it doesn't work out. It's not going to work out. So begin to seek God. Isaiah 61. Let's go to verse 8. For I, the Eternal, love judgment, I hate robbery for burnt offering, and I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. He knows truth. He knows how things work out. He knows what would happen if you fracked. He knows what will happen if you cover a square mile with solar panels. I still don't know what that's going to do, but they got one just on the California-Nevada border that big, looks like. A lot of mirrors there. A lot of panels. What's the, what's the end game for that? I don't know. Neither of the scientists have set it up. We need to seek God because He created the universe. He made us a beautiful world here where everything works together in harmony. The right fish eat the right fish and the right animals eat the right plants and the birds fly with their bellies down and not up and the cows don't lay on their backs and try to get around. They stand on their legs and everything works good. (coughs) And you don't feed them thalidomide so that the babies have flappers when they're born. Now, that was a good idea. They've got this new drug called thalidomide. Boy, this is going to make mankind better. So then we're born with fins and flappers. No. Seek God. Your ways don't work out. Find out so that He will guide you in truth. <coughs> Isaiah 51, verse 18. This gets personal about the church. Here it's talking about spiritual Israel. It's talking about physical Israel too. They're always both in the context. 
<coughs> but here in verse 18 it says, There is none to guide her among all the sons whom she has brought forth. Neither is there any that takes her by the hand of all the ones that she has brought up. These things are come to you. Who shall be sorry for you? Desolation, destruction, famine, and the sword. There's a way that seemed right to the church, too. But it's wound up in the church being destroyed. It's a way that seems right to our nation. And it's winding up with our nation about to be destroyed. Now, God is going to give us an answer. If we obey Him, He says to wake up here three times in a row. But He says that in verse 7 that uh, of chapter 52, that pub- peace will be published and that good tidings would come forth. And someone would preach, God reigns. Not man, not scientists, not Einstein's. Man. Your watchmen... Those that God has set to watch over you shall lift up your, the voice. With a voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Eternal turns again to bless Zion. <clears throat> then he says, Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. <clears throat> so he's going to bring peace, happiness, and joy in the church. And once Christ returns, peace, happiness, and joy in the nation and in the world where mankind will not try to figure out the best scientific solution for things and make the horrible mistakes that we have made. God is the only one who knows what doing this will actually cause in the long run. Mankind can think about it, and he can say, well, will this happen, or will that happen, or will this happen, or will that happen? But they don't really know. And then they find out. Proverbs 25, verse 9. 25, 9. <clears throat> uh, I wrote that. Oh, oh, Psalm. Not Proverbs. Psalms 25. No wonder that didn't work. Psalm 25, verse 9. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek he will teach his way. Mankind has really fouled up the oceans, they fouled up the land, they fouled up the air. But those who are meek and will listen to him, he will teach his ways, and he will teach the things that make things turn out right in the long run. Short run and the long run. Chapter 31, same book, chapter 31, verse 3. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privately for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. For you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. We're to look to God for guidance and direction and find out His truth. Won't it be great when Christ is here on the earth and we're his bride, should we qualify, and I hope we do, where we can just ask him, you know, I'm ruling these two cities or these ten cities over here, 
and people are talking about doing this. They think this would be a good rule or a new law or whatever it is, a good procedure in these ten cities, and they brought it to me. And I'm not sure what this will do 50 years from now. How will this work out? And he'll say, that's a really good idea. Or he'll say, oh no, here's what that'll do. Won't it be nice to have him there and just ask him, is this the right solution? Will this turn out good? And he'll say yes or no. And then you will go do what he says because he's your guide and he'll guide you into truth and into the way. I look forward to that day. Chapter 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way where you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. He'll look after us. Then he tells us, don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. You have to put a bit and a bridle in them to control them. There'll be a lot of sorrow to the wicked. But be glad in the eternal, verse 11, and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, you that are upright in heart. You who look to God for guidance and direction, not like a stupid mule who has to be told, kicked, prodded, and made to do what he ought to do. Well, that's mankind as a whole. Backsliding heifers and mules. Chapter 48, verse 14. Excuse me. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Now, people, as I said before, fantasize about God and they create a God in their own mind of what they think God is. But this God, described in this book, is our God. And He's for good forever and ever and evermore. Isaiah 49, verse 10. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them, for he that has mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. He knows how to make it so that there's no hunger or thirst. He knows how to adjust the earth and the sun and everything so that there are no hot spots and cold spots. He knows how to fix it so everyone all over the earth can live in comfort. He knows how to fix mosquitoes so they won't bite, and leeches so they don't suck, and ticks so they don't suck your blood out. He knows how to fix lions so they graze instead of eat people, and snakes so they don't bite you. He knows how to do these things. We don't know how. Think of Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes. I won't turn and go through it because we don't have time today and it's 11 chapters, but there was the great experimenter. Solomon was given great wisdom by God and he was also given great wealth by God. And he knew pretty much God's ways, having grown up in his father David's house. And he knew God. He talked to God. He built God's house. Uh, But he decided he was going to do some experimenting. 
to see what was good and what wasn't. Chapter 1, verse 13. And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. So he says, I'm going to think things through and sort out what's the best way to do everything. Okay? I want to know wisdom about everything done on earth. <clears throat> this sore travail has God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. He's saying God did when he kicked them out of the garden. He made life tough. So he says, I'm going to try to figure out what's the best way for man to go. He eventually wrote Proverbs 14.25. There's a way that seems right, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. 26, I guess it is. 16.25. Uh, verse 17. I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I was going to compare things that seem good and things that are just utterly madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. He sounds like a 60s hippie right there. I'm going to figure it all out. What seems good? And see what's mad and what's crazy? What's good? I'll sort it all out. I'll find myself. I'm looking for my head, man. So that's what he was doing. Chapter 2, I said in my heart, look, I'll prove with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. He says, all right, I'm going to give myself to whatever form of entertainment I can think of or devise. And then I said, of laughter it is mad, and of mirth, what does that do? So he says, well, just laughing and telling jokes all the time doesn't do it. I think I'll give myself to wine. Maybe wine will show me the right answers. Yet acquainted my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men. So he's going to find out if being a drunk would work out good. <laughs> Been a lot of people tried that one since and hadn't seemed to work out too well. So then he decided he wouldn't plant gardens and orchards, booze wasn't working out so hot, I'd make me pools of water, swimming pools, and I got me servants and maidens and servants born in my house, and great possessions of lots of cattle, and I gathered silver and gold and all these things, and I got my own orchestra and my own singers and my own bands and, and uh, musical instruments of all sorts. And boy, was I great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. And all my wisdom remained. God had given him wisdom. And all the stupid stuff he tried and every experiment he could do, he retained the wisdom that God had given. Now, most people don't do that. When they go into stupidity and foolishness, they lose all wisdom and perspective. But since that was a gift of God, it wasn't all taken away. <clears throat> and then he looked at it, verse 11, all he had done and said, it's a vanity and a vexation of spirit. What is a vexed spirit? <laughs> that means you're not too happy. That means you're upset. You're frustrated with it all. But then he didn't find happiness and peace there. 
Verse 13, Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as far as light excels darkness. So he tried all experimenting, and what did he come up with? Chapter 12, verse 13. Fear God and obey Him and keep His commandments, for this is the whole man. So he returned to wisdom after trying all these different experiments of what he thought might work better, and it didn't work. So his message here is more about social adjustment in that sense, how to live and what to value in terms of of family, in terms of personal living and so on, is more what he's referring to. So it wasn't necessarily all the scientific experiments that we're using today. Uh, They didn't have as advanced society, I say advanced, or as degenerate a society technically as we do today. So now we've learned that marriage doesn't work out. Uh, Having kids, oh, that's a pain because the little brats are just noxious and unbearably difficult to live with, so let's not have children anymore. What are we going to do? Well, we'll have iPads and iPhones, and that will become our life. And we can take selfies and send them to each other, and, and life is so happy and so good. How's that going to end? Well, it ended the other day with one man texting he was driving and hit a church bus and killed 13 people. That's how that wound up. Is all this technological way of communicating going to work out well? Are people going to learn to get along better with each other by texting instead of talking? I've seen a line of people sitting there on, a, on one couch, four or five of them, not saying a word, sitting all evening texting back and forth. Is that going to help your social development? It maybe help your thumbs until they wear out and you get <coughs> bad thumbs, arthritis or whatever, I don't know, but... No, there's a way that seems right, but it's going to end in death. Now, what did Christ say? Uh, John 15. Let me quote a couple, three scriptures, or several here, real quickly from from Christ's own mouth. Uh, Get back to John. John 15. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, what supplies what the branches need? Do the branches supply what the vine needs? No, the vine provides the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing man does. I mean, you're alive, you can wiggle your toes, and you can make artificial fertilizer or whatever it is you decide to do here on this earth. But anything that works, or that is eternal, or that is important, has to come from Him. Your ways that seem right won't work. Without me, you can do nothing. What did he tell Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4? Not by might, not by strength, 
but by my Spirit will the church and the temple be rebuilt. Man cannot do it. There are a lot of men out there today trying to rebuild Worldwide Church of God like it used to be. And they are totally, utterly failing at it. Some of them think they're having a certain amount of success and try to brag about how many magazines they're publishing. But the ends thereof are the ways of death because they're not doing what God says needs to be done right now. They're not doing His ways and it's not going to work. <clears throat> and even we who understand that and try to do it right can't seem to get it right. We need to be closer to God than we are. Chapter 5. Verse 30, John 5:30. I can of mine own self do nothing. Now, could Christ walk around? Yes. Could he accomplish any good? No. Man's righteousness is self-righteousness always. We have to come to have God's righteousness, his spirit. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. He didn't lean to his own understanding. He went and talked to God regularly, the Father in heaven, because he had been made human, and he needed sustenance, power, strength, wisdom, guidance from the Father, day in and day out. Even Christ himself admitted that on his own as a human being, he was worthless and helpless. He had to have it from the Father. <clears throat> 5.19 Then Emmanuel answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatsoever things he does, these also does the Son likewise. So we need to find God and ask Him. What about this medical procedure? What about this seeding of the clouds? What about this fertilizer? What about this? What about that? Because he is the only one in the universe who knows the right answers that will all turn out correctly in the wrong, long run. The only one. We're just experimenting down here. And boy, are we fouling it up. Chapter 8, verse 28. Then said Emmanuel to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's hung him on a stake, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. So Christ is our example. We go to God. We ask Him to guide and direct our steps, to help us see the way that is right, and do exactly as He would have us do. He made a beautiful world for us. And now we have fouled it up, polluted it, destroyed it, and we're destroying our oceans. He didn't have to have angels necessarily do all of this. We're doing it to ourselves. Revelation 21, he says, he's going to have rivers of water coming out of his throne, going every direction to heal the nations. God made it beautiful, man polluted it. God is going to make it beautiful again because He knows how. There is a way that seems right to God, and it works. There's a way that seems right to a man, and it ends in death. 
we need to come to examine as human beings everything we do in the light of God's Word and in the light of the prayer and the meditation that comes from reading His Word. And we need to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God knows what works and what doesn't work. And we need Him here to tell us what to do because we don't know. And even when He gave us His Word that gives us all kinds of right things, like not building house to house, we ignore it. When He tells us what to eat and what not to eat, we ignore it. When He tells us who to marry and who not to marry, we decide on perversion. We can't get anything right as human beings. Nothing. And it's just getting worse and worse until the bombs will figuratively at least be in the air to end man's existence unless God intervenes and cuts it short. No, man does not know how to direct his steps. There's a way that seems right, but it's wrong, and it ends in death. So there we have a very quick thumb sketch of man and examining man for what he is. So once we, since we know now <laughs> what all the efforts of man produce, then we can examine ourselves individually and see what all the things that we think are right for us will produce, compare it with God's Word, and submit to Him and do it His way so that we can have life everlasting with peace and joy and happiness and love, and everything will work out for the good. God knows how to direct our steps. We aren't doing too well on our own. Let's turn to Him.